0: i take them to school in the morning typically when i'm in town the two older ones and so anyway i've got apple carplay in my truck so you can see our podcast name they think it's funny to listen you know like i'm a celebrity and so after a couple (laughs) minutes she was like so let me get this straight people are gonna just listen to you just
1: talking to another person
0: yeah
1: is this supposed to be entertaining
2: Welcome to episode 87
0: of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. Hello, Reed. Wie geht's? Wie geht es dir heute?
2: Oh. I don't know any other languages, or I would jump in <laughs> as well. Well, I thought I would speak in the only other language that I know, which is uh, German.
0: My daughter, uh, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, my oldest daughter, He's taking Spanish. All right. I, too, took Spanish uh, for several years in high school. Uh, however, it was taught by my high school basketball coach, also former Green Beret, and it was right before lunch. So, uh, other than Vamos a Comer,
2: I don't know any other Spanish. <laughs> we maybe represent uh, a vast swath of our audience who may not speak other <laughs> languages.
0: <laughs> uh, Yes, well, we're going to get into some of that today, but before we do, I wanted to give a quick plug for the TPS report, which is our weekly email. Uh, so we, we send out each Monday, we send out a, a, uh, an email with a lot of really cool links to some resources that the different show hosts have found throughout the, the week. So if you're interested in that, you
2: can find out more about that and sign up for it over at touchpoint.health. Yeah. while they're out there, why don't they go ahead and just jump in and do our listener survey? We put together a really quick survey that's out there. It won't take you too long, a few minutes, right? To do. That's right. It's super, super short. It's helpful
0: not only to us, but those that advertise on the show. It's uh, some great information we can and feedback we can even share with them. So speaking of which, quick plug here for our friends over at Loyal. Uh, Healthcare is complicated and our friends over at Loyal get that which is why they are dedicated to helping health systems simplify the complexities through smart, consumer-first technology solutions designed to inspire loyalty.
2: Whatever your business goals, Loyal's platform enables you to empower, guide, and connect with your data in order to deliver a simply smarter digital patient experience.
0: That's right. And if you are headed out to Shishmed out in Seattle uh, next week, be sure to stop by booth 222, easy to remember, 222, uh, and
2: schedule a demo to check out Loyal's newest product features. And if you can't make it to Seattle, that's not a problem. All you need to do is go over to their website, slash demo to schedule a personal demo and learn a little bit more about their products.
0: All right. Well, this this is a neat one. This is not something that we have. I, we maybe touched on it a time or two, uh, talking about content and maybe S, maybe our SEO episode and some of those types of things. It's, it's getting harder to keep up with what we have and have not talked about at this point. But
2: we have certainly not an episode over this, which is... You could call it localization. Maybe you call it multi marketing, maybe multilingual marketing. It's really about using marketing and particularly digital marketing as a way to reach out to particular ethnicities and non-English speaking people that are in your service area. So much like we target ads and we don't just
0: show the same thing to everybody for various reasons, this is very similar to that. So I think historically we've talked about different geos or different geographies, maybe different, you know, uh, male versus female. Maybe it's different age demographics that we show different messaging to and things like that. That's all this is, right? But it's probably something we haven't done as much of, which is alternate language uh, around whether it's
2: advertising or just messaging or content in general, things like that. So let's start off this episode read, um, where we usually start off most of our episodes with looking at a Wikipedia definition. I actually looked up the definition for internationalization and localization. So one of the things they said is that internationalization is the process of designing a software application so that it can be adapted to various languages and regions without engineering changes. Okay,
0: that's not what I would have thought that meant, but I don't know I don't know what I thought it meant. But that makes sense. That makes sense. Easily adaptable, scalable,
2: etc. Yeah, like a content management system maybe or even things like Facebook. Although I have to say, uh, when we talk about Facebook, a really good uh, John Oliver uh, episode a couple of weeks ago, where he went into localization on Facebook, which is interesting. We'll link to that in the show notes. But what about localization? Have you heard about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so according to Wikipedia, localization is the process of adapting what we just talked about, which is internationalized software for a specific region or language, probably most typically by translation or the actual text changing uh, and, and adding or could add some sort of a um, you know a
2: locale specific component. You know, a lot of times when we hear about this, Reid, I think about websites and I think about how do you localize a website for a specific type of language? Um, you know, you've been to websites, right, where they had like, do you want to visit the U.S. version versus the Mexico version, that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, the probably the most common one, I say most common one, at least the one that I can think of that came to mind when I was thinking through this was IKEA furniture store. Um, where did they come from? Sweden, yeah, Sweden. Of course, there's several of those around the U.S. We have one here in the Austin area, and so I've bought a fair amount of stuff. And anyway, looking at their website, you know, maybe looking up dimensions or something like that uh, before I go purchase it. That's probably the most common one I can think of. But all the big multinational brands have it, you know, whether it's Nike or Audi, car manufacturer type sites, things like that.
2: I recently worked, did some work for a um, EMR company where we actually had to build regional sites for different uh, – they had five international regions. And it was really interesting because the difference is when you talk about localizing a website, there's a lot of things involved, right? It's not just the text. But it also could be you get the photos and videos that are on the site. Yeah, the photography is a big one. And we see that a lot, not just in web, but just in,
0: in advertising in general, is making sure that you're representative of uh, the market in which this uh, collateral content, digital deployed website or landing pages, ads, you know, whatever they may be, that it's actually, it looks like the people that you're putting it in front of. You know, it looks like it, it culturally
2: fits. And you have to think about like what regions because there's so many dialects in certain parts of your service area, you probably want to standardize it to like a higher level dialect. If you're serving a maybe a, a population where Spanish is sort of the secondary language, well, there could be multiple different dialects. And in our interview later, we'll, we'll be talking with someone that's doing it at a hospital, and she had to accommodate for that.
0: I think too, though, something that's, that we need to outline around the two is you know, localization. It may only happen once in your market, but it potentially happens a whole bunch of times. It's going to adapt to where that locale is. You know, which that would make sense. Now, the, the internationalization piece of it is hopefully at least done once. Right. So it's something that's built a certain way that's then adaptable versus you're adapting each time.
2: And I worked at a hospital, too, you know, that reached out to their Chinese population and creating their their website in Chinese. Suddenly you're reading the language a different way entirely, and then suddenly your layout has to change. And that brings it to a whole nother level, right? As you're going about looking at the various different iterations of multi-language or multilingual or localized digital work, I think that it becomes really important for you to kind of consider the technology on the back end and some of the challenges that might be faced. I haven't really ever thought about that until you just said that about the
0: layout. You know, growing up, I had a friend that had moved to Jackson, Mississippi from Jordan. So imagine that, if you will, such a cool guy, and, and actually he's a very accomplished photographer now, and doing doing really great. Of course, when he came, you know, he could write in Arabic, and so everybody was like, "How do I write my name in Arabic?" You know, and so the idea that like they read and write right to left versus left to right. And when you go to lay out a website, and all of a sudden everything's going to be right justified and read from right to left. I mean, that's an interesting thought. It's just something to keep in mind as you translate. It's not just about the translated word, but it's also, you know, what does
2: that do around the layout? You and I focus on digital stuff, but this applies to just about everything that's out there. When you're starting to adapt your marketing and your communications efforts to different ethnicities, different languages, there, there are certain things that you want to pay attention to. And again, we'll get into it a little bit deeper in our interview a little bit later, but I thought what might be interesting, read just as a, a way to kind of talk about this is, look at like the internet and look at how diverse the internet is. I found an article that's from the guardian that talked about the digital language divide. And they started off the article by saying the first language used on the internet was almost certainly English. It was developed in English speaking languages. Yeah. Okay. By the mid 1990s, it was estimated that English made up 80% of digital web content, but things have changed. Over the two years, so I would assume it's much lower now. It is one of the most recent estimates. It might be a few years ago. Says that English's relative share now is around thirty percent, and other languages like French, German, Spanish, Chinese, Russian—they've all pushed themselves into the top ten languages online. Interesting. I mean, obviously,
0: this is going to be um, not even regionally based, but you know, somewhat. in in some cases, even continent-based, I guess, but obviously countries and things like that, this is going to center itself. Spanish is an easy one here in Texas you know, that you're going to have to
2: account for, especially in in border towns. On my hospital website, fairview.org, at the very bottom of the page, it shows you the 14 languages that we have translated interpretive services. And I think that in many regions, you are dealing with multiple languages because the communities are becoming that diverse, right? And we want to make healthcare accessible to all those people. Now, I'm not saying that I have 14 different websites for different languages. Certainly we don't. When you think about it, English now has become
0: Sure, and we've talked a lot about websites, but there's other things at play here. Same articles talking about, sure, you know, English is still probably the most common language on Twitter, but about half are in other languages—Japanese, Spanish, Portuguese, etc. You know, are all part of the most active users or make up some of the
2: most active users. So, there were some um, interesting stats from that too. Read when they got yeah. into that, they were saying that. You could say more with a Twitter character limit in Chinese than you can in English. And that's because each character is a full word. Imagine that now. (laughs) That's amazing. That never dawned on me. For the Chinese that are using Twitter, I mean, they could be writing almost email length, size, you know, or even more tweets to one another. That's pretty interesting. Is that good or bad? I don't know. I mean, when Twitter expanded its character character length to 240 characters, I thought that was too much. Yeah, it kind of defeats the whole purpose.
0: But now you can string a whole bunch of tweets together.
2: <laughs> well, anyway,
0: that, that's another topic for another <laughs> day. <but.
2: laughs> Koreans tend to use Twitter to reply to one another. So they use it conversationally. It's kind of interesting. It's almost huh?
0: like text messaging to some
2: degree. Yeah, now I've done that too, but people I follow on Twitter, they don't use it that way. But get this, German speakers, and you know I should know I speak German, they share more URLs and hashtags than any other language. Gosh, can you imagine what those hashtags look like? <laughs> what do you look at, German words? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's all just, there's got to be super long hashtags. And one last that: if you're tweeting in Indonesian, you t- retweet roughly five times more than you would if you're in Japan. I can see that. No, I don't know. I, that's just <laughs> <laughs> so people use these tools a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so we've seen other tools surface, right? And, and things that I didn't use even a few years ago, I use on a fairly regular basis now, like Google Translate. You know, So, of course, you can do that online, even just in the web browser. But there's also an app. For Android and iOS supports up to 100 languages and can translate 37 languages via photo 32 via voice, which is what they call conversation mode and 27 uh, via real time video in like an AR augmented reality mode, which is that that's crazy. So it's like you don't even have to learn the language to travel anymore.
2: You just carry your phone around and just hold it up, and it will Google will translate that whatever native language you're in. That is just crazy to think about. But think about the implications of all the different technologies that are out there and all the different ways people are accessing information. If I was in a foreign country and I didn't know how to speak the language – I think that would be incredibly useful if I needed to go to a hospital.
0: I mean, in the fast food restaurant, you can still point to the thing on the board, right? Or like the number two is the same in any language or something. But it's interesting because I think like what does that do for translation services mm-hmm. that we see in hospitals? You mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, we have those available in all the nursing units. I would assume those, you know, they're still got to be HIPAA compliant. You still got to, you know, be able to, ha- you know, understand the medical terminology because that gets pretty convoluted pretty fast. And so some of this built for consumer use is probably not as useful except for on the marketing side of the equation. So you have people asking questions, writing reviews, you know, things like that online. That's where some of this can come into play that at least – If all you're doing is triaging and getting people to the right place uh, with a quick copy paste, you can at least get some context. You know, it may not be the best translation, but you can go, oh, okay, they have a billing question, or they're trying to apply for a job, or, you know, they're trying to get, you know, a birth certificate, you know, or something. You you can kind of figure out, you can make sense of what somebody is asking and, and get them where they need to
2: go quicker, which I think is great. Their algorithms are getting much better than what it was when I fir- when we first started using these Google Translate tools. But there's still, you know, anytime you use like assisted translation or a robot or like AI driven translation, it's it leaves a little bit to be desired. Let's talk about Facebook. Uh, Facebook is available in 43 languages and is in the process of being translated into another 60 languages. In fact, that's one of Mark Zuckerberg's. Biggest things is to take Facebook and make it international.
0: I see that. I mean, and you know, that's good in in one respect. Obviously, from a business standpoint, that's you know, it's market share. Trying to get more more users, more adoption.
2: It is an important part of what Facebook strategy is because certainly they're facing a lot of challenges here. And you know, people in the U.S. are using Facebook a little bit less. One of the drives to go international is to really make it. You know, much larger than 800 billion people, which are now on the Facebook platform.
0: And plus, they're going to have to replace all the people that are now leaving
2: based on the fact that, you know, they had a hack or whatever. One of the things, and I referenced it earlier, Reed, I just want to quickly say uh, that John Oliver investigative piece that they did, not all of the, the language translators are exactly working and so he he was mentioning that in one particular region i forgot what it was that the word congratulations and suffer were the same and you know when you put the word congratulations on a twitter on a facebook message it pops up all those balloons
0: Mm -hmm.
2: well so it was doing that in this in this language very inappropriately because they were talking about civil unrest that was going on in their country
0: yeah Sorry, you're suffering
2: balloons yeah Those are the stats kind of interesting to think about, but it's not just the technology, right? Reed, it's also the way people use things. And it's also the, the differences of the way these tools are being used in these different communities.
0: You know, we talk about access points relative to clinical, but there's also access points relative to, you know, our digital front door that we've talked about. And so you you found a good article uh, from Pew from a couple of years ago, Pew Center for Research, and it's uh, racial and ethnic uh, differences in how people use mobile technology. Um, You know, a couple of stats from there. One of them, uh, 13 percent of Hispanics, 12 percent of African-Americans are smartphone dependent, meaning they do not have a broadband connection at home. And have few options for going online other than said
2: smartphone. I'm thinking that you know we might want to extend that to any kind of rural environment when you don't have broadband connection. Your smartphone is probably your tether to the internet. As an aside here, I'll mention this and maybe we can come back to this another
0: time. But Bobby, my my business partner that, you know, our host of the intersection podcast, and he and I do gear and review and things like that. Anyway, he's over in South Carolina and they were doing a stroke project over there and realized that they were getting a lot of hits around messaging, digital advertising. And they started looking at that and overlaid it with where the interstates were, and that's where it was happening. Because when you get too far off the interstate in some of those rural areas in the Carolinas, and yeah, I mean, you're left with a cell phone. There, there is no broadband connection. So they were doing a lot of things around the social determinants of health. And so it's, it's interesting. It means a lot, not just in the advertising world.
2: But in the same study, Pew found that only 4% of white smartphone owners rely heavily on their cell phone for online access. So I'm wondering if that indicates a different type of disparity in the United States. But because of that, um, they found that Blacks and Hispanics really use their phones more often than Caucasian people when it comes to looking up information about health conditions, jobs, or educational content. In fact, that's one of the biggest things that they use their phones for. Yeah. I mean, think about this. When we're talking about persona development
0: and some things like that, and and the messaging that you're pushing out based on certain audiences, it's really important to understand, obviously, well, where are they? And so this all kind of weighs into that. Do you need to translate your entire website? No, probably not. You know do you need to translate certain campaigns? Well, it depends. you know at, who's a good candidate obviously for this particular service and, and if it you know goes down the path of some of these areas where either it's a rural area or maybe it's uh, targeted Hispanics, for example, you know, that mobile first advertising idea is a good
2: one. It's hard to say and it's not I wouldn't call this a blanket. You know, a blanket findings of a study because it, this happened in 2015 and things have changed. I certainly think that though, as you're looking at your specific community and you're looking at how technology is used, I think it's important to maybe even as you're doing your persona development, your market segmentation, that you start to understand that if you're reaching out to different cultures in your communities, how do they intersect with technology? How do they research things? How can you communicate to them? And maybe even doing you know specific approaches towards your segmentation is going to be really important here in Minneapolis Reid there, there's a huge somalian population and over the last couple of years it's been really tough to communicate to the somalian population about vaccination and so there's been an outbreak of like you know smallpox that occurs in these populations so mm. there's been a, a big focus of hospitals in this area to figure out how it's the best way to reach and communicate with these certain populations. And I think that's important for you as you're looking and marking out your strategies for these, these different languages. And again, so I'm clear,
0: where do we come down on vaccines? We're for those.
2: Is that right? Okay. (laughs) Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days
0: how much time you're spending. Uh, on reviews, ratings, relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're
2: certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. And if you work in certain markets where you actually are looking at medical tourism, and I did this when I was living in New York, we were reaching out to other countries to try to drive, drive people in, then you're in a whole nother ball game. I mean, once you get to translating your Google AdWords into Arabic, I, I mean, sure. and that's just like a whole nother level layer of complexity.
0: You look at, especially, you know, you mentioned New York, you look at the Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, uh, even MD Anderson, you know, any of these, these big destinations, but even simple things like if you're bordering the U.S., you know, with another country. So, uh, for example, down in the, uh, the Cayman Islands, down in the Caribbean, uh, there's not uh, hardly any oncology care down there. So people are coming to the States or coming to Miami. Those organizations in Miami are marketing and have to understand, okay, we have people that are choosing to come here again, medical destination, kind of that tourism piece. Uh, But even simple things like uh, we have a client in El Paso and we see a lot of comments coming through social media, asking how much labor and delivery, how cash pay, you know, how much is, how much is it to have a baby? Because people are going to drive over from Mexico into the U S to have a baby it's just a different mindset and understanding, you know, also how are you equipped to handle this from a messaging standpoint? So we mentioned some of the, uh, you know, technologies that help, but still that's not quite, you can't just like, don't go, don't say like, well, I would say this and then have Google translate and just paste that in and send it
2: back. That's probably not the best approach. I wouldn't guess, but no, not at all. Maybe we could talk about some of the challenges that, you know, typically your face, but you know, I think it's important what you're saying, Reed, is that when people are interacting with your health system and they're in it from a diff- different ethnicity, maybe they live in a very, you know, uh, isolated community that's, that only speaks a different language, that's not English. They are bringing a lot of their own cultural perspectives into the interaction with your hospital. And I think those things are really important to consider. It could be, you know, that they like to visit the doctors with their whole family. It could be that they were afraid of, of going to your hospital because they might be an undocumented citizen, right? It could be, there's a lot of different things. I mean, it could be that there are people like here in Minnesota that they're sneaking over the border from Canada because they want to get access to all of our great paid for healthcare. Exactly. All the paid for stuff.
0: But yeah, so I mentioned El Paso earlier, um, you know, the, the culture is, is, is more formal, when you're having a dialogue online so it's little things like you typically don't call somebody that you don't know by their first name and so when you're conversing with them on social media it's mr or miss you know that kind of thing versus just using the first name that's on their facebook profile that you might would do in say austin texas so there's different things you have to think of when you're actually having those interactions
2: well, why don't we end up this conversation with a couple of the challenges around um, multi language marketing or multilingual marketing, particularly, you know, some of the things that we found about digital technology websites. I think let's start it off by first by saying, like you said, right, Reed, is that you don't have to go and translate your website for every different language that's out there. I think it's important to know. But you certainly, if you're doing specific programs or outreaches or communication or marketing to different populations, you certainly want to give them a multi-channel approach that's in their native language.
0: Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's not the whole site. It's pieces of the site. It's, you know, campaign-based. Again, it's service-based that... I may sp- speak specifically to that population, you know, et cetera. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Another one we've also mentioned, which is just while cost effective and probably efficient and quick and things like that, using you know kind of that automated translation is is maybe not the best way to go. Uh, not terribly reliable. You don't exactly if you're not bilingual, you don't really know what it says. So you mentioned like you know. Uh, words meaning two different things, you know, messaging and some of that stuff. It just, even if the words are technically correct, it may just not sound right. Like that's not the way you would say it in that language, for example. So, anyway, just be cognizant of the idea of just, you know, kind of the automation translation or, you know, the, even though it may be quick and cost effective.
2: Be very careful with when you're translating content. That is translated. It's always helpful to always have a, a native speaker to be part of that. It's more costly, but I think it's going to help you out.
0: And so kind of also along those lines, um, uh, you know, the third point being uh, the SEO side of the equation. So again, not everything means the same thing in other languages. And so regions, countries, all that stuff makes a difference. I mean, so making sure that you're setting up your site map so that Google knows what you're talking about and that it is multilingual and multi-regional. And doesn't penalize you for having duplicative content for one, and that it understands maybe that you have a Canadian versus a U.S. version of your website, even though you know the content may be pretty close to the same thing in both places, right?
2: Well, right, Zs become Ss, and I think they do OU instead of O. Is that right? Yeah, it was like E's on the end of things. I just suddenly thought about, oh my gosh, I've never SEO a site in a different language. That, to me, just blows my mind a little bit. You know, more often than not, there's a, there's it's not just the content, too. It's like we talked about before. Web copy graphics, videos, e-commerce listings. There's a lot of different things that have kind of changed. And really, if you want to start changing it, you have to start considering all of these other technologies and things that we've talked about before on these shows, Read, Like, for example, Siri in different languages. Being a German speaker, I've changed my Siri to be German on my iPhone. And it's very interesting because it you have to ask it questions in a different way. So now that we're talking about voice-aided search or voice search, if you're trying to appeal to different languages, you now have to consider all of that. Natural language processing kind of changes.
0: I think, too, though, this is about progress, not perfection. I mean, we can't just go from nothing to you know, it being perfect tomorrow. And so I think going back and looking, okay, you know, what is my primary and secondary service area look like? Where do I need to have multilingual options and about what? Um, you know, what are the most critical things? Uh, again, think about access points. That's a great place to start. Then taking those critical growth campaigns and looking at SEO and some of those types of things relative to you know, some of these other audiences and, and versioning those campaigns for those folks all maybe good good bite-sized ways to get started.
2: You know, and in the interview a little bit later on, Tiffany is going to talk about some of the things. that It's not just the marketing and communications that has to change. It's even the way you have to change the entire experience. You know, how she's learned from the different cultures that she serves, how to even change the way the care model is being delivered. And it's a good interview, so give it a listen. It's coming up here in just a few minutes.
0: Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've, we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in
2: one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those
0: topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com.
2: Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, Reed. This has been an interesting conversation, a little bit out of our comfort zone, but I was thinking about something when we were talking about all of this uh, multi-language translation, and I was thinking about how the web is becoming more and more of a visual medium in terms of photographs and videos. How do you feel about this? In order to better your localization, your multi language offerings, I think we should be taking a picture centric or video centric approach to our content. What do you think?
0: Okay, so that's a terrible idea. Like, why? I don't know why we would do that because now you're just going to have to have the same image with different folks in it, like all in the same pay. I,
2: I don't understand how that would work very effectively. Well, I don't think it's like the same picture. I mean, come on, read, go to any stock art site. You could get the multi-ethnic people in a photo. I, I'm not saying that you have to do just, you know, a one photo shoot with different types of ethnicities in a white lab coat. <laughs> But, but what you can do, though, is you could actually start to visually explain a lot of the things that might be interesting, you know? But think about it like what happens at some of the fast food places. And even IKEA does this. Instead of words, they have pictures and they show you what you need to do. I think we as healthcare marketers could start to adopt that approach. What do you think?
0: I feel like you're making fun of millennials. <laughs> is that what's happening here? <laughs> I get it. I like the idea of pictures and the DIY mentality and like, this is how this works. I'm I'm a very visual learner myself, but I I think you're going to have a hard time conveying context when you're just looking at pictures and things like that. Like you still need, you take the Ikea example. Yeah. There's pictures are great, but it's like, is that this screw or is it the screw that's four millimeters shorter? Because I can't tell that in this picture. And whichever one I use is going to be wrong, but I'm not going to know it till 47 steps later when I then did need this screw. And so I think you, you've got to still have, you know, the copy
2: text is the dominant piece of the equation. I agree with you. I mean, at a certain point in time, you're going to have to have text. But, I mean, we're not even talking about the fact that you're trying to potentially reach to, reach out to some people that may not actually read so let's not even go down that path but i think that and certainly we could start to use photos and videos as a way to augment all of that text because there's nothing worse than being discharged from your doctor's office and getting a stack of paperwork that's just filled with all this medical jargon that you can't read you never read and you know you end up like losing it in the car anyway on the way home and you can't find it because it slid behind the seats honestly it would be great to have more visual treatment of how you explain certain things about maybe a little demo about how to log into your patient portal. I feel like that was
0: a, a necessary dig at millennials when you're talking about <laughs> people that can't read. <laughs> Sorry, we had, we haven't mentioned millennials the entire episode. i just <laughs> making up for lost time. But I'll kind of side with you a little bit here because I do think if we look at the way at least the way I use YouTube, for example, is like I don't want to look up the manual that tells me how to change the oil on my uh, riding lawnmower, right? That's right. Like, I would just rather look up a YouTube video and be like, hey, show me a guy changing the oil on a John, De-, you know, and then they do like, oh, okay, that's where that thing is. Okay, and then they do the thing with the, okay, all right, got it. You know, and then like I go outside and do it, right? Like I don't want to read a description of like, you know where to find the filter, and you know and all that kind of stuff. So, sense. I think you guys still have some, obviously, some measure of both. But for a lot of folks, including myself, I think the visual piece, because we are in a
2: very DIY world. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. You do need you do need the text. Obviously, you need some of that context. It certainly helps though. Like you know, if you leave your discharge for rehab to to have a video that shows you how to do the exercise right, you know, that's going to be very helpful. But but. You also have to admit that good video, good audio, they kind of go together. And so you kind of need that that instructional language because you could watch yourself like, you know, bend your knee a certain way as you're recovering from knee replacement surgery. But to also hear the doctor say or whoever's in the video to say, hey, don't if it goes too far, it starts to hurt. Don't you know, overextend yourself or what have you. So we're landing in the middle again. You know, I think at the end of this, what we can always agree upon is that, you know, millennials just don't like to read. All right. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today I have the pleasure of talking to someone that I recently got introduced to, but I have been very impressed with some of the stuff that she's been doing. And that is Tiffany Helberg, who works in as a VP of communications for community health of south florida tiffany welcome to the podcast
1: thank you for inviting me chris this is exciting
2: would you uh be open to maybe sharing a little bit about yourself
1: sure i've been with community health of south florida chi for about six years as the vp of communications and um i do a ton of things I like to call myself a professional juggler because I'm constantly juggling different projects. I do marketing, PR, I do uh, branding, internal, external communications, you name it. I write the newsletter, I write the annual report, I do social media, I uh, oversee our digital marketing efforts, and I even write speeches for some of our leadership when they go out in the community or we hold events. I also train them to be in front of the camera, to be interviewed. So a lot going on here.
2: Wow, I am surprised you even found a half hour of your time today to talk to me. Reid and I have been talking a lot about marketing to people with different languages, different cultures. Let's talk a little bit about your perspective on that.
1: So South Florida is a very, very diverse community. At CHI, we have probably 30 to 40 different cultures that come through here. I'll tell you that probably 60% of our patients are Hispanic. And a third of them are Haitian and speak Creole. So we really have to um, advertise and reach out to these groups in very different, different ways and really be strategic about how we do that.
2: You mean this is much more than just using Google Translate on your ads?
1: Yes, you can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Although I'll tell you, our website, though, does have the automatic translation thing that you can translate to uh, you know probably a hundred different languages and for now that's just going to have to work for us because remember we're we're also a non so we don't have unlimited funding to, and I'm constantly changing the website so if I were to use a translation firm to um, translate the website that that bill would really add up so for now that website is you know just With the widget. But when I do do a translation firm for our advertising or for our newsletter or something like that, I don't just take their word for it. I then circulate it among some of my colleagues here, and sometimes they debate over what it should say. Even they don't agree sometimes.
2: Well, that's interesting because I could imagine that you know, with many different similar languages, yet distinctly different in your in your community, that that really plays a part in this. So, like when you're starting to plan, let's say uh, a communication or a marketing effort to reach out to one of these communities, the, what are some of the things that you go about thinking about as you're planning for this?
1: Well, we know from experience that. Hispanic families like to approach healthcare as a family unit. They like to make decisions as a family. For instance, in our TV commercial, it shows the whole family coming together to the health center to see the doctor, to see the dentist. And in fact, that is the way it is sometimes. Oftentimes, we do see them come together. It's important to show that representation in the advertisement so that they see, not just hear their own language, but we, we get it. We, you know, come together, come as a family. This is your medical home. We get it. We want them to understand that we, you know, are culturally sensitive.
2: That's right. I guess learning the culture and understanding uh, some of those cultural sensitivities are really important. Are there resources or tools that that people that are in your position could use and tap into to get a good understanding of maybe other cultures that they're not
1: familiar with? First, you should, you know, do your research. One size doesn't fit all. Um, especially when it comes to the different cultures. For me, I went to a number of different seminars at like ComNet, PR, communications conferences, and even... In healthcare, we have National Association of Community Health Centers, and they focus on some of these things, cultural differences and how to approach them from a healthcare perspective. I think you find if you go to some of these conferences, you'll learn a lot about that and be able to integrate it into your marketing efforts. In addition, like I said, I like to bounce my ideas. I might have a whole game plan put together. And then I bring it to my colleagues and they say, "Mm, it's not going to work. In this culture and here's why and it might be something that i never even realized and so then i go back to the drawing board and i bring it back to them and see what they have to say about it for instance i had um, a whole advertising campaign um, for school physicals and it was called got game kind of like the got milk campaign it was for school and sports physicals well when it was translated into Spanish. It just was totally off the wall. It didn't make any sense at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after a group of folks here got together and um, agreed upon the wording, we changed it and it was something that everybody could live with. Because another challenge is, sometimes especially among the different Hispanic cultures, they have different colloquialisms and different ways of saying things. Puerto Ricans might say things one way while the Cubans might say things a different way. So we have to find a way where it's a happy marriage for all of them.
2: The one slogan or the statement means the same thing or resonates within all those different nuances within, even though it's the same language, right? It's a different cultural approaches.
1: Exactly.
2: You also mentioned that the Hispanic communities, they often experience healthcare as a family unit. Has that shifted the way your approach, like maybe presenting care offerings?
1: Well, it's shifted my marketing efforts for sure. Um, It's also shifted some of the events that we hold here. Sometimes we host events you know, as a marketing tool to bring in new patients. And so if the event is family oriented, we know we're more likely to get more people. For instance, the first year we had our women's health celebration. Well, we didn't offer childcare and didn't consider things for the men. Why should we? It's a women's health event, right? (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) So we live and we learn. And the next year we offered child care and you know something for the guys to do there too that way we're incorporating the entire family and more people came out
2: Yeah, you know, that totally makes sense. And, you know, when I worked at a health system on in the D.C. area, we actually uh, started to shift the way we actually deliver care in a primary care setting to address sort of more of that family unit. And we made the exam rooms a little bit bigger. We added more chairs and we actually made it more of a communal event when a child was going in for a physical
1: That's smart. I think we're just used to it because this has traditionally been, uh, you know, 50, 60% Hispanics. Also, because we're a nonprofit, we don't have the luxury of being able to expand our exam rooms. We just work around it and accommodate them to the best of our ability.
2: I work in a health system where we want to try to be very diverse, you know, racially diverse and sort of our, our images. Do you find that also in sort of the creative expressions that you do?
1: Absolutely. I try and make sure that, uh, you know, if I'm showing a group of doctors, ideally, I would like one of them to be Hispanic, one of them to be black, um, you know, as diverse as we possibly can, because we have so much diversity among our patients. And it's also probably reflective of our staff here, we have a very diverse staff. I do think that that helps when people see other people that are like themselves, especially in communities that are There, we have some communities that are scared of going to the doctor. We have undocumented immigrants also among the Haitians, Um, some of them don't trust authority. So it helps to see someone like themselves to hear someone like themselves, Creole speakers. um, That's, you know, a whole set, we have a whole outreach team, some of them do speak Creole so that they can go into the Haitian community and speak um, to the Haitians as well. um, We have doctors and nurses here who speak Creole we also have advertised on local Haitian radio station because we know they have a big following And it's important that they trust the person who's the radio personality. So if they have a following for this radio personality, and we advertise there, they're more likely to come in, especially if we're talking about a population that is distrustful of authority and healthcare institutions. So to be strategic like that is is really going to help. So
2: what you're getting at is they actually consume media in a different way. As well. How did you learn about that? I
1: think it's just living here and talking to people and being open and and trying to constantly learn as much as you can. I myself, my mother's Jamaican and my father's Polish. So I'm a, from a diverse family, <laughs> but I can't tell you that I know everything about all these different cultures. I don't. So I am constantly, constantly Talking to folks, asking them their opinion, asking them if you know you were advertising to your culture, what, how would you do it? What's the best way to re- reach out to these people because they have great ideas.
2: That really is an important tip there, right? Is like develop your own focus group. And you mentioned you have people that work at your health system, and I think that's so smart to do. Do you also have patient focus groups that you work with?
1: Actually, you, you've given me a good idea. We haven't done that on a cultural basis, like uh, having a special focus group for Hispanic patients, a special one for Creole, probably would learn a lot from that. I love that idea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm learning from you. So we're learning together, I guess. (laughs) That's great. When I worked in New York, I had 17 primary or secondary languages I had to appeal to. And we had different programs for each. As a healthcare marketer communicator starting down this path, are there any other tips?
1: I think the first thing, as I mentioned, is you have to learn. You have to learn about the cultures that you're targeting. You have to know that one size does not fit all. You need a different approach for different people. Um, And once you've developed your plan, don't assume that it's good. Get feedback from folks in that culture to see how it's resonating with them.
2: So now I want to turn then our conversation to... The one thing that actually kind of uh, piqued my interest when I heard about it, which is the Facebook Live project that you did. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So we were invited by Univision to be part of a digital town hall meeting on mental health, um, and they were going to broadcast it on Facebook Live. And first of all, Univision is king not just here in Miami. Univision is king nationwide. A lot of people don't realize how powerful Univision and Telemundo are. They actually have more viewers than English news networks that are nationwide. So we knew that it was a great opportunity for us and we jumped at the chance, did everything we need to do to fulfill whatever they're asking for immediately. I think that's the biggest thing that people need to realize, that when you get a call from a member of the media, They are on such a tight deadline that if you don't give them what they want right away, they're moving on to the next person, the next health center, the next hospital that will give them what they need because they don't have the luxury of time. And too many folks in healthcare think they can sit and think about things. You don't have time to sit and think about it. (laughs) You've got to move. You've got to move. The opportunity is there. The time is to strike. It really turned out to be a wonderful experience. On the day of, there were like 24 thousand people logged into Facebook to watch the digital town hall meeting. Um, We had one of our psychiatrists on the panel. We had two of our case managers. They had a phone bank where they could answer questions from viewers as well as direct them to care. So those were both wonderful, wonderful opportunities for us, not just to give us the platform for our psychiatrist to be seen as an expert, but also to get our name out there nationwide. It was great exposure for us.
2: It's really smart how you connected it to other ways so they can start to engage With your health system. It's not just a Facebook Live. Did this uh, Facebook Live broadcast it obviously with Facebook, but the viewers of it, were they concentrated in your community or did this have a broad expanse as well?
1: It was nationwide. So some of them were in our community, some of them weren't. Um, But we were fortunate enough that Univision gave us links ahead of time. So we promoted it on our and on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, sending out emails so that we could get as many people locally to tune in as possible. So
2: smart, such a smart and a great way to take advantage of an opportunity for sure. And did that kind of jumpstart other ideas? Well, I don't know
1: that we have as many Facebook viewers as (laughs) as Univision. (laughs) I wish we did. I think, sure, down the road, we might do a Facebook Live thing, although I'll tell you our Facebook viewership is nowhere near that. But um, it does present some interesting ideas. I think I would much more prefer to kind of latch on to these big media opportunities, as I think there's more opportunity there. And so I do try and really foster my relationships with the media. I came from a media background, I was a TV reporter for about 15 years. So I know a lot of those folks. And um, even the ones that I don't know, I make Facebook friends with them. And I follow them. And I comment I like I want them to always see that I'm there so that I'm top of mind when they have an opportunity like this and they know they can reach out to me and that I'll give them what they need right away.
2: Well, you sure are an example for all of those, you know, one-person marketing communications teams across the country to follow along because that is, so, is smart to develop that relationship in that way. And uh, it seems like, you know, these opportunities, you, you really know how to take advantage of that. I think that's great.
1: Um, something else that you might want to consider when you're invited to do something like that, I like to... Do the work for them. And what do I mean by that? Like I'll often, in this case, I wrote the intro for my psychiatrist and I wrote some possible questions. And do you know that they used it just nearly the way that I wrote it, which is great for us. And a lot of people don't realize that they have that ability. You have nothing to lose by sending it to them. If they don't use it, oh, well, how much of your time is lost? Not much. So worth the effort to try and get it in there and then frame the conversation the way that you want it to be framed.
2: Tiffany, this has been really, really great. I really appreciate your insights. And really, I mean, hats off to you for all the work that you're doing and, um, you know, reaching out to a very diverse community and being smart and sophisticated about your approaches to reach those Thank you.
1: That's so nice of you.
2: If people listening in want to learn a little bit more about you um, and and about your organization, would you recommend any place online for them to to find you?
1: Sure. Our website is www.chisouthfl.org. You can also find Community Health of South Florida, Inc. on Facebook, as well as on Twitter.
2: Mm-hmm. And when you go out to your website, definitely hit that Google yes. Translate button <laughs> to, uh, or to read the site in a different language, I suppose. Right. Huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tiffany, thank you again. I really appreciate your time today. This was a great interview and I learned a lot.
1: Anytime. My pleasure.
0: All right, wrapping up episode 87, thanks again to Tiffany Helberg for her time and uh, great insights around the things that uh, she's doing down there in South Florida. I mean, you reach out to her. We'll have obviously the links in the show notes and things like that if you've got any questions or would like to connect with her online. Before we get into recommendations, again, a quick plug for everywhere Chris and I will be, Mm -hmm. well, not everywhere Mm -hmm. we'll be, but everywhere we'll be jointly together uh this fall first of which is coming up here in just a couple of weeks actually uh, which is the atlas conference up in boston uh brought to you by kairos and uh that is october the 15th through the 17th and you can find out more at atlasconference.com
2: and just don't worry at every conference we're going to go at we're going to create we're going to record a podcast episode in fact we have a really good uh, panel session there that we're going to be talking about systemness so if you, if you aren't able to make it, we'll definitely report out. So give it a listen. Uh, the following month, Reed, we're going to be over in Scottsdale, Arizona for the Healthcare Internet Conference.
0: So the uh, HCIC is one we've done a couple of times now and uh, obviously have attended and presented at and all that stuff for, for years. And uh, looking forward to going out to Scottsdale and being with those fine folks. Um, that is uh, November 5th through the 7th. And uh, look forward to seeing you all there. If you're going to be there, let us know, obviously. Uh, and then the following week, uh, oh, and that's at hcic.net. And then the following week is the Mayo Clinic's annual social media conference, which is over in Jacksonville, Florida. And you can find out more at socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. But that is that following week, November uh, 14 and 15, with some pre-conference uh, workshop on the 13th.
2: Wow, we're going to be sick of each other after this conference season, Reed. <laughs>
0: that is right. Um, no, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, it's funny enough, those three conferences are similar yet different enough that we'll probably see uh, maybe a few folks will overlap. But it'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of new faces each, at each stop. So that'll be, uh, be a lot of fun. Recommendations. What,
2: what, what are you recommending this week? Reed, I'm going to recommend a podcast this week. Right. Not ours. Not one on the Touchpoint Media Network, which by the way, if you go to touchpoint.health, you can find out all the different shows that we do. But no, this is a this is one that actually maybe for many of us got us into podcasts to begin with. Serial. Serial oh, yes. is back with episode or season three. Have you been listening into season three Reed? I have. I have. It's good. It's good. It's completely different than years past, but I, I really like it. The host goes to, uh, I guess, a a place in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, a court judicial system, and she's following along, and her and some other reporters are kind of listening to actual cases and reporting on various different elements of the judicial system, which is really fascinating to me, and each episode is slightly different. And quite frankly, it's very well-produced, always well-produced, well and tells a really interesting story. So this week, I am recommending the Serial Podcast Season 3.
0: Awesome. That's a good one. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it so far. Uh, and anybody that likes Sarah Koenig and the work that she does, even from Amer- This American Life, uh, will enjoy this and even some of the new voices that you'll, you'll hear on there. I am recommending um, another tool. Uh, I've kind of been on a kick of some different tools here as of late, but this one is a Milwaukee brand 25 foot auto locking tape measure. Boom. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, You never have too many uh, measuring tapes in the old toolbox. Uh, This one is very heavy duty. I like the Milwaukee brand tools. They uh, They make something that lasts, but it's auto locking. And so what I like about this is a couple of things. One is, is when you pull the tape measure out, it stays until you press the button, which is a little bit backwards. Typically you pull the tape out, press the little button down to hold it, This you actually pull it out and it stays where you pull it out to until you push the little button for it to retract, which is kind of handy if you're trying to measure something by yourself. It's also uh, very durable, of course, but I like the fact that it uh, actually uh, numbers uh, down on the fractional scale. And so at a quick glance, you can see, you know, is that a fourth or an eighth? And you don't have to think, you know, if you're not used to looking at a tape measure, uh, you can glance at it pretty quickly and get a precise measurement. Uh, you can get this in a couple of different lengths. I've got a 25 foot. You can get a 16, you know, et cetera. But anyway, the Milwaukee auto locking tape measure.
2: So I'm going I'm to go I have to go check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: there you go. It's a good one. Well, very cool. Another good episode. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. Uh, we appreciate everybody's support, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to this podcast. That's the number one way that somebody else is likely to find it is if you do those things. Uh, we appreciate your support and look forward to hopefully seeing you in person this fall, uh, one of the many places we'll be. If not, please reach out to us, connect with us online, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those kind of good things. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.